We've been thinking about family, and, and one of the big things that has really broken my heart over the course of uh, the last few weeks is I have spent more time in statistics than I would like to is simply uh, what's happening with our kids. And we in America say uh, it's all about the children. It's all about the children. It's all about the children. Um, if you turn on the news, you, you watch the news, you read the newspapers, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure too many people read newspapers uh, around here anymore except maybe for the Herald Journal and the Lake Oconee papers. But uh, uh, if you're in tune to the news at all, then and you see a lot of stuff about kids and, and politicians popping up and say, you know, it's all about the kids and, and we, we, need to, we need to put these funds over here for education or for, for social services. It's, an all, it's all for the children. And, and then you'll turn on your television and you'll see here's a telethon that's coming on and it's all about raising money uh, to help, help the children. And, and then, of course, uh, as you're watching your movie and on TV, all of a sudden the commercial comes on and it shows the pictures of, of, of homeless and hungry children and they're asking for you to help because it's because of the children. And it tugs at our heartstrings because it's the children. As you saw, my heartstrings tugged uh, for the kids that we had here this past week. Uh, it's all because of the children. And so we hear that and we think as a nation, as a culture, as a society, we must truly value children. And then, and then we start reading some of the other statistics. And it's absolutely heartbreaking. Every year, over a million children, over one million children in the United States are aborted. They never see the light of day. They never see their mom's face. They never get to speak that first word or take that first step. They never have a chance. But that's not the only thing as we take a look in our society that we can see. Statistics vary between 3.3 and 5 million children every year are abused. Some in horrific ways. And the reason it varies is because people track what abuse is in different ways. You want to make it a little more real? Because of that abuse, every day in America... Five children die because of abuse. And I would share some of the stories with you, but quite frankly, they're too graphic to talk about publicly. Some of the things that parents and quite frankly, oftentimes live-in boyfriends or girlfriends do to children, even infants, Absolutely horrific. And so we ask ourselves, which is it? Do we as a society value children? We certainly say that we do. Or do we not value children? Let's add something else to the, to the top of the stack. On Tuesday, we're going to go to the airport and we're going to fly out because Atlanta's a huge hub. But it's also a very infamous hub. The Atlanta airport in the United States is the hub of sex trafficking in the U.S. Children are flown in, adults are flown out. Children as young as five years old. Being sexually abused by perverted adults. 
and an hour and a half up the road is the hub of it for the United States of America. Do we value children or don't we? I guess that's too much of a black and white question. If I ask you, you would say, yes, I value children. Children are special. They aggravate the fool out of me, but they're special. We want to give them the best we can, the best shot we can. We want to invest ourselves in them as best we can, but there are other people in our society who don't see it that way. We as a church, as we've said in so many other things when it comes to the family, we need to be in the forefront to say that children are special. Now, where do we get that? We get that from God himself. Let me share with you, excuse me, a few verses of Scripture to show how God values children. In Psalm 127.3, we read this, Children are a heritage from the Lord, offspring a reward from him. Children are a heritage. God gifts us with children. In Matthew chapter 18, we actually read this during our dedication ceremony last week. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom? And he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. And then in Luke chapter 18, they were bringing even the infants to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not enter it. So based on that, do you think God values children? Absolutely. For Jesus to say that it would be better to have a millstone tied around your neck and tossed into the sea rather than abuse one of these little ones, I'm not sure what all the nether regions of hell will be. But i got to imagine the darkest, hottest is going to be for those who abuse those precious little ones. And so this morning we want to take a few minutes since children are so special and since they are a gift from God and they are to be cherished and treasured and valued, then how do we relate as parents and children? And, and that's what I'd like to begin. And, and let me start by talking with the children. I should have let Glad keep them all in here, so you're going to have to tell them. But we want to start with what God has to say to children as they relate to their parents. In Ephesians chapter 6, Verses 1 through 3, we read that children are to obey their parents. Here's what it says. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment, with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. 
children are to obey their parents. This, here's a command, children, obey your parents. Notice it doesn't say parents, make your children obey you. Now, having said that, we do need to add that parents are obligated to create an environment where obedience is possible and, quite frankly, where obedience is expected. Parents have that responsibility. But you will never make your child obey you. And that's part of the problem. One of the reasons that parents struggle so much is they're reading this and saying, parents, make your child obey you. Listen, when we come to, in a couple of weeks, when we come to the uh, Paul talking about what husbands, the responsibility of husbands and wives, too often we read it and we read it the wrong way. You know, we'll read and it's, it, says, uh, it says that wives, uh, you are to submit to your husband's leadership. And what we read is, husbands, make your wives submit to your leadership. Or, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And what we read, what we read into it is, wives, make your husband love you. And so what we need to understand is this is for children. Children need to be taught this. They need to understand this. Children, obey your parents. And the parents have the responsibility to create an environment where that is the norm, where there are boundaries in place, where you don't make empty threats like, you know, you're heading to Disney World and you've already spent $4,000 on this Disney World vacation and you're heading down there and your kid in the back seat's fussing and, and fighting. And, and you know, if, if you don't stop, we're just not going to Disney World. Oh, yeah, you are. You just spent $4,000 on that. You're not turning around because Junior's throwing a fit in the back seat. Don't make empty threats. Now, okay, let's, let's bring it down a notch. Don't make empty threats in Ingalls and Publix. You know, if you keep this up, we're going to leave. If you say it, do it. If you're not going to do it, don't say it. That's creating an environment where obedience is expected, where it's the norm, and it needs to be consistent. So let, let's take a look at this a little bit. Okay, first of all, the, the, the commandment is for children to obey their parents, and that obedience to the parents is to be in the Lord. Now, what does that mean? It means two things. First of all, it means that our obedience we are, to be, we are to obey our parents because it is a command of the Lord, okay? That's to be in, we obey them in the Lord. It's our, it's our religious duty, so to speak. But there's also another aspect of that which is just as important, and that's this. There will come a time in most children's lives as they begin to, to grow and, and experience life, and God begins to speak to them. Children are to obey their parents so long as it does not go against the will of God, the plan of God. Now, children, that does not mean you will make stuff up and go, well, God told me. But as the children get older, God begins to work in their lives. My father wanted me to be a pharmacist. And so the first thing I did was when I got to college is I actually pledged a pharmaceutical fraternity. I mean, they were serious about this. They'd wear T-shirts that said, drugs are my life. I didn't hang around long enough to figure out what that was all about. 
I actually, I'm one of the few people, I guess, that de-pledged a fraternity. I got in it and said, no, this is not for me. I didn't end up being a pharmacist. And it was the hardest thing, it was the hardest thing for me to be able to go to my dad and, and tell him that I was going into ministry. I was not going to do something that was actually going to make me any money. I was going into ministry. I was going to be a pastor. And, and I had a hard time coming to, to grips with telling my dad that. But, you know, there came a point in my life where to follow the Lord, I had to go against the plan that my dad had for me. Now, that's not an excuse. It's not a reason to just jettison whatever your parents tell you. But there comes a time in the life where your leadership from the Lord is going to trump your leadership from your parents. Having said that, parents, you will have to give an account to God for how you lead your children. You will have to give account for God because you are God's shepherds over your children. We also note in here that obedience grows out of the honor that we have for our parents. We're not just to obey them because they're bigger and stronger. I'm not just supposed to obey my dad because he's wearing a belt. You know, that's, that's not the motivation here. The obedience grows out of an honor that we are to have for our parents. So where does that honor come from? It comes from God's design for the family. If you'll notice, um, honor your father and mother comes from, from what? The Ten Commandments. Okay. And does anybody know which of the Ten Commandments it is? Okay, it's got to be between 1 and 10. Nobody want to venture a guess? It's, is it 4 or is it 5? It's 5. Now, that's interesting because if you look at the first four commandments, they, have to deal with, they deal with our relationship with God. And if you look at the last five commandments, they deal with our relationship with other people. Number five deals with our relationships with our parents. Why? Because God designed the parents to leave the home. They are under shepherds of the home. And therefore, that is the transitional commandment between our responsibility to parents and our responsibility to others. I mean, responsibility to God and our responsibility to others. Number five covers both of those because it is our responsibility to God to obey our parents and to honor them and to give them the respect that they are due. Now, I will tell you this. There's something that happens at 12 years of age in the life of a child. At 12 years old, there's this interesting phenomenon where they literally lose their minds. You ever notice that? At 12, I noticed this with my kids on little things. I would tell kind of a corny joke. And when Jackie was, you know, old enough to get it up to 11, she'd just laugh at it. At 12, she just kind of looked at me. Now she's kind of grown back into it, and she actually has grown into having a sense of humor like mine, which is very convenient. But there, at 12, she's going, what? It was like a, it's like a switch between 11 and 12 that things change. And I don't know what it is, but children are to honor their parents, give them the respect that they are due as God's under-shepherds. And also, we need to note here that obedience has benefits. When we live according to God's design, then we invite God's blessings. But when we live outside of God's design, then we invite God not to bless us. And we need to understand that. That's very real. 
I tell people all the time, if you want to get hit by an 18-wheeler, which I have no idea why you would, but if you want to be hit by an 18-wheeler, go stand out on the interstate. You have a much better chance of being hit by a, a big truck on the interstate than you do by sitting here in the parking lot of the church. Well, let me change that. If you want to be hit by an 18-wheeler, go hang around in the parking lot. Rick Ward will testify to that, as will Rick and Wanda Genovese. Um, we finally got most of that stuff fixed, except that little Geo Metro. Not good. Yeah. You're not, okay, let's change that. Let's move from the parking lot to inside. You stand a much better chance of getting hit by an 18-wheeler on the interstate than you do sitting in here, I think. I think you're pra- fairly safe in here from getting hit. That means one couldn't come barreling through. It just means the odds of it are really unlikely. You want to put yourself in the position where God's blessings freely flow into your life? You need to be living according to God's design. That welcomes God's blessings. And and when we live outside that, it just puts up roadblocks and stop signs and traffic lights to keep God's blessing out of your marriage. And I hear this very often from families that say, we're praying for God to bless us and things just keep going worse and worse and worse. And then it's like, well, take a look at how you're living. You're asking God to bless you with your mouths, but by everything that you're doing in your lives, you're saying, God, please don't. So we need to understand that obedience to parents is honoring of parents. This is an invitation for God to continue to bless. Parents, you have this awesome responsibility. You're going to be held accountable for it, but children, you also have a responsibility. And you will be held accountable for that. Last week, if you'll remember, we looked at Proverbs 22.6. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. We talked about this a lot in my grace group on Wednesday night. But parents, you have to seriously take up your role of training your children. And that's what we want to focus on for the remainder of our time this morning. What does it mean for us to train up our children? And we want to begin by saying training your children means teaching them God's word. That's a good place to start. In Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 18 to 21, we read, Fix these words of mine in your hearts and minds. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Teach them to your children. Talking about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates So that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, as many as the days of the heavens are above the earth. These few verses show us in a powerful way that is important for us to know God's truth and to teach our children God's truth. That does not mean you drive by and drop them off for Sunday school and pick them up at the end of worship. That's not training up a child in the way that he or she should go. What it says is, I need to know God's word myself, and I need to teach God's word myself to my children. It's my responsibility. Don't simply leave it to the church. Now, I'm telling you, uh, if your children were here for Kids Week this past week, they got a lot out of it. If your children are involved preteen ministry they'll get a lot out of it they'll learn god's word but there is no way in one two three hours in a week 
or in a concentrated week like Kids Week, there's no way that we can do what you can do as parents in teaching your children God's truth. And what did this, this verse show us? It showed us that it's not just a, uh, you know, now lay me down to sleep, God is great, God is good kind of thing. This is what, did you, did you see what in Deuteronomy, what God said? He said, listen, if you're walking along the road, if you're sitting at home, first thing in the morning, last thing at night, have it as part of just your normal routine that you're talking about what God's... When was the last time that your children or grandchildren heard from you what God's doing in your life? Or what God has spoken to you through your quiet time or your Bible reading? When's the last time your children heard that, that God is actually real to you and that His Word matters to you? They need that. It is critical. It is vital. It's part of training up a child in the way they should go. And you'll notice in this house, Scripture was written all over the place. I mean, Scripture is just everywhere. There's nowhere you could go to get away from Scripture. There's some of these things. Maybe you've noticed uh, if you grew up in a home that maybe had little cross-stitch stuff on the wall or, or pictures on the wall, there are things that that you see them so often, they just burn themselves into your psyche. That's a good thing if it's the right thing. Now, dogs playing poker, maybe not so much. But to see Scripture on your walls, I mean, it's a whole lot better than a neon sign that says, come on in, the beer's cold. And so we need to understand that it's our responsibility to teach our children. as part of training them up. Secondly, training your children to, uh, does not mean making them, well, excuse yeah, training them does not mean making them bitter. Colossians 3.21, fathers do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And this word embitter means to provoke to anger. And that may be what your translation says, do not provoke them to anger. It means to stir them up to anger. And it's true that your child may declare, you make me so mad. Even if you're only exercising discipline, they may say that. Uh, but you know when you're exercising discipline and when you're doing something not to make them better, but something that's going to make them bitter. Discipline without love and limits can be a dangerous thing. Let me say that again because I want you to hear this. Discipline without love or limits is a dangerous thing and it leads to abuse and neglect. And that's not what God's called us to. We read in Ephesians 6, 4, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And this word exasperate means to provoke or to irritate or to excite in a negative fashion or to embitter. Uh, Weymouth translates it, do not fret and harass your children. Phillips offers the translation, do not overcorrect your children. And it's in a continuous sense, which means do not continue to exasperate. Do not continue to embitter your children. Parents are called to discipline their children, no doubt about it. But I want to tell you right now, if you had not figured this out, there is no one-size-fits-all discipline. 
Every child is unique and every child is different, and that's what make parent, makes parenting so hard. If you could just do the same thing with Junior that you do to Sally, that you do to Philip, that you do to you know, Wanda or whatever, and you go on down the list, if you could just do it the same way every time and it worked, well, you'd have it down pat once you figured out the first one. But that's not the way it works because all your children are different. They're gifted differently. Their temperaments are differently. They receive love differently. They interpret things differently. One size fits all doesn't work. And work. Disciplining, parenting is hard. And so parents have a tendency to go to one extreme or the other. One extreme is they fail to discipline at all. Because it's hard, I'm just not going to do. I'm just not going to discipline. Other parents, on the other extreme, is they discipline too sternly. They draw the lines too tight. They don't give any breathing room for that child to be a child. It's just too, too restrictive. Now, the worst kind of parenting at all is the one on Monday, there's no discipline, and on Tuesday, you know, the bars come down, and on Wednesday, you're back to no discipline. And it, that consistency, uh, you know, in parenting, you're almost better off to be consistently wrong than inconsistent. I'm going to edit that one from the message. You don't want to be consistently wrong, but I'm telling you, inconsistency in parenting may be worse. It may be worse. And so probably the best piece of simple advice I can give you here comes from James Dobson, where he says that you need to give your children Roots to grow and wings to fly. In other words, you need to give them the essential truths of God's word and how to live as a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. You need to do that, but you should always be preparing them to leave the nest. We're on that end of it now. We've done all that we can, and there will come a time in your life, no matter how old your children are, your grandchildren are. Right now, they're, they're young, maybe little crumb crunchers crawling around on the carpet or whatever, but they're going to grow up, and if you need to invest in them now in their roots so that when they're ready to spread their wings, that they're able to do that. And that means don't bail them out of every bad situation. They have to figure out that there are consequences to actions. If they don't figure it out, guess who's going to be down at the bottom of the nest to pick them up every single time? You. You're not teaching them to fly. And you've got to do both. Well, let me give you this last one so we need to move on. Training your child means to set an example for them to follow. So it's more than just giving them words, just giving them an example. And Paul wrote, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. A simple way to say that is imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And this is this has profound implications when it comes to parenting. Are you an example of a follower of Jesus Christ to your son or daughter, your grandson or your granddaughter? We have a we have a we have a design a divine obligation to set an example of making wise choices based on prayer and God's word to our children and to talk about this with them. Um, many years ago, and this was many years ago, there was an anti-smoking campaign. This is when the anti-smoking stuff really got going. 
And I remember this commercial because it must have come on a lot. And because my dad was a smoker, so it probably penetrated a little more. Uh, there was a father and a son sitting at the base of a tree in the shade. And the father got his cigarette, pack of cigarettes out, and he took it and he lit it up and he put his pack of cigarettes down. And this child, the son, picks it up, puts the cigarette you know, in his mouth like he's going to smoke the cigarette like his dad. And the little caption was real simple, like father, like son. And, but it's a very powerful commercial because it, 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 you know, it stuck with people. This is a simple illustration that what parents do matter to their children. If it's true with cigarettes, isn't it true with following Jesus? I would hope so. Like father, like son, daughter, like mother, like son, like daughter. What kind of decisions are you making in your life? that are affecting the attitudes and the actions of your children? What are your children, your grandchildren, seeing of you? Are they learning from you godliness or are they learning worldliness? Can they see that you're a person who seeks first God's kingdom and his righteousness or that you fret over everything? Can you say with integrity to your children, imitate me, as I imitate Jesus. Now let me, let me make a confession right now. Yesterday, I played golf with two people. Jay and Jesus. You couldn't see Jesus. I'm sure he shot better than I did. Probably beat Jay. Okay. But when I say I play golf with Jay and Jesus, that means wherever I go, Jesus goes. I don't think Jesus was real happy with me yesterday. And not just because I wasn't playing well. I didn't say anything bad. I just was not. Jay playfully hit me in the head with a golf club. That was right on the bill of my cap, but he was trying to, Jay was trying to get me out of my funk because I was disappointed. I was upset with the way I was playing. It wasn't, it wasn't good. I, I, I'm better than that, you know. And Jay was trying to get me out of it. And he told me, he may not remember this. He said, Dad, this is what you used to do for me. And I started thinking about that. Well, no wonder you didn't appreciate it. <laughs> this is what you used to do for me. As I laid in bed thinking about that last night and thinking about what an idiot I was on the golf course in front of my son, what a bad example that was. Evidently, somewhere along the line, I did something right. It said, when someone that you love is upset. You do what you can to pull them out of it. I'm becoming the weepy preacher. Jay, I don't want to put you on the spot, but you don't know how much that meant to me yesterday once I stopped to think about it. In the meantime, I was like, quit hitting me in the head. You can put my eye out. 
you can find a lot of examples of parenting in life, good and bad. You can find a lot of examples of parenting in the Bible, good and bad. Guess what? We can learn from all of them. We can learn what not to do and what to do. And here's what we learn. Here's what we learn in Scripture, that even good parents messed up. And the reason good parents messed up is because parenting is hard. It is hard work. And it is incessant work. And it is unappreciated work. And in order for us to do it right, we need a constant reliance on God. A constant reliance on God. That's essential. And so let me, I'm going to sum it up. I want to give you just one, two sentences that sum it up. The way to have a truly successful home life. The way to have a truly successful home life is for Jesus to be Lord of your home. And for that to happen, he must be Lord of your life and you must be committed to teach your children, to lead your children, to know him, and not just as Savior, but as Lord. I'm going to read this again because I probably should have just said this and prayed and we'd gone home. The way to have a truly successful home life is for Jesus to be Lord of your home and for that to happen. He must be Lord of your life and you must be committed to leading your children to know him, not just as Savior, but as Lord.